Welcome to Terminal Talk. This is a podcast about mainframes and mainframe-related topics. I'm Jeff, and I have with us this week good friend of mine, good pal, Christopher Poole. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how are you? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. Uh, I'm not even just going to ask, you know, because it's the flight thing to do. How, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I'm um, pretty hot right now inside my port. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so in preparation for this, because you care so much about the quality of your audio, you set up the I fort. do, I do. I did, yeah. Well, I thought, you know, why not? It's it's the thing to do. You've got to try and silence those those echoes and things, right? So you what do you do? You have like the the broomsticks holding up the the comforter and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's pretty much like that. Yeah, I do feel like I'm about twelve years old, um, but that's that's generally my state of mind anyway. So it's fine. I think later on, later on, if if Mom agrees, we're going to watch Jurassic Park. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. <laughs> Make some popcorn. Uh, and I think you said you also said that today they're they're choosing today to redo the streets. They are, yeah. I've I've had some all all kinds of issues with the electrical supply the last few weeks around where I live, um, and they've decided today's is the day to fill in the sidewalk that they um, excavated a few weeks ago. So wonderful! <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, every, everyone has to have a hobby. It's it it is uh, interesting seeing people kind of um, struggle and sometimes uh, persevere with the whole home recording thing. Uh, we're slowly learning that light needs to be facing towards you and uh, you know, that, that background noises get picked up by microphones. So th- this is all one big learning exercise, I think. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. I um, I was actually trying to use OBS at some point to have a uh-huh. virtual camera for WebEx and use my iPhone as a virtual camera. Cause it's got a much better camera and um, I didn't get that, that far with that, but then I saw <laughs> there's some other app that you can use. Um, that I might have to, have to try to kind of turn your your iPhone into a virtual camera. But at that point, um, aren't you like slingshotting your video stream through so many different resampling services? It'll come out looking like a real audio video or something. Uh, it should be good, I think. So I think what they're doing is they they require you to to uh, connect it to your laptop via USB, so it's not going you know across the the internet or anything like that. Oh, so it's using it as a device and not just. Uh grabbing the video stream yeah exactly so i think it's it's kind of i guess it must be interpreting the video stream and then it's trying to do as little processing as it can and just turn it into a virtual camera on the system and webex should be able to then see oh you've got a webcam and it happens to be your iphone but it can do something with that (laughs) i know one of the one of the problems i'm having is um i have i I, i've recently moved my whole setup down to my basement um just because it got too hot upstairs and uh it's just so gray and drab down here that I, I put up like some LED colored lights around things, which which look cool in person. But my webcam is is uh, trying to figure out like what the color balance of the room is, whether it's <laughs> blue or yellow. And I did, I show up looking um, looking like a like a tangerine because it's it's trying to adjust to that blue as it's as it's white. Um, it's tangerine or you know, pata smurf you've got two choices exactly exactly well these these are all you know uh silly things to complain about but uh you know when, when you put time into something you want it to look cool and uh here i come i just look weird yeah exactly and i so i think it's um it's kind of interesting that i feel like a few years ago people just didn't care that much but people are getting much much more comfortable with uh semi-professional blogs and things like that on youtube and they're all doing very high quality stuff 
yeah. and I think now people are coming to expect that you should have a decent quality of audio and video you know when you're when you're sharing your screen or doing things to camera oh absolutely i i i i really think that people will only ask you to like adjust your microphone or you know go full screen don't just you know maximize the window so many times before they'll just assume like you know what if they don't care about what they're presenting why should i so uh, people are definitely getting better to it I've, I've had a lot of people message me on the side like hey um, I looked really shiny on a call. How do I fix that? Or, you know, what kind of microphone should I buy? So it's, it's, uh, I, I'm, if, if this is what it takes and this is one of the pluses that comes out of all this, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that includes myself, right? I think I've probably pinged you on Slack saying, Hey, which, um, which ring light are you using right now? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I've graduated from the ring light to some uh, LED panels. So, uh, you can't see, but <laughs> right. I just look fantastic. <laughs> but I did not. Uh, I did not uh, want have you on the show for for home studio chat. Um, no, it's a separate no, show. Okay. Um, I seen you posting on the Twitter sphere about something that looks uh, really interesting, and it it seems like it brings together a lot of the like the the next current gen mainframe technologies, um, you know, IBM Cloud, HyperProtect, Kubernetes, um, and this this IKS thing that you seem really excited about. Can you uh, can you tell us what this is all about? Yeah. Okay. So, where do you want me to to start? Do you want me to talk a bit about HyperProtect or a bit of background yeah, on mean, IKS? Yeah, HyperProtect seems like it's a thread that's just running through everything lately. So, what is what is the current state of of HyperProtect uh, in in July twenty twenty? Um, and let's just take it from there. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So, yeah. Um, where do I start? So, I, <laughs> let me start on a, a bit of a tangent, actually. Um, so, you know, there's this guy called Alan Kay, um, kind of a bit of a giant of computer science. Yes. Um, and he's he's got, well, he's got a load of quotes, but he's got this one particular quote that always sticks with me that um, if you want to, I'm paraphrasing now and misquoting, but if you want to really care about and write great software, you should also have, you should also own great hardware at the same time, right? There's a there's an mm. advantage to, to owning that full stack. And people often use that quote in reference to, you know, computer fruit companies based in Cupertino in California. Um, and so, you know, that's obviously why they're really successful with uh, their Macs and their iPhones and things like that, um, which I, I think is somewhat true as well. But I think you can apply the same kind of logic and thought process to to a lot of what we're doing as, as IBM and including the mainframe, right? It's um, it's a place where we, we do have that complete stack. And obviously towards the top of the stack you've you've got you've got linux and other third-party applications but a lot of the base things like zos and zvm and down to the firmware and the microcode and the hardware itself right it's it's all completely owned we we have that stack which lets us optimize and think about particular use cases um that that we we perceive in the industry as being problems that we've you know we might have clients that have got particular issues and we're trying to work out what are those issues? How can we best solve them? How how can we help them, basically? And one thing that keeps coming up is is around security, especially towards the public cloud. But there's a, a lot of clients, I think, have got an interest in public cloud for various reasons. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're, they're kind of concerned about putting more serious stuff onto the public cloud through a perceived lack of um, security or, um, you know, what what kind of policies are there? What kind of compliance is there? So what we're really trying to do, I, at least in my view anyway, with HyperProtect is to 
look at those set of problems and try and think, okay, well, how how shall we best solve that? Let's start from the ground up. Let's work out what um what hardware we can apply and we can deploy into IBM Cloud data centers. And then from there, what can we do to actually solve these particular problems? Um, now, one thing that comes up is, okay, well, you know, I'd, it'd be really nice. I mean, so we're talking about security here. And yeah. with the the first thing you think about with security is, um, or you should be thinking about, I think, is mm-hmm. who who are you trusting, right? And how how do you limit that that trust? Um, and that's that's kind of the first big problem that we're trying to solve with with HyperProtect. Can we isolate the amount of trust that, as as a client, you have to give to whoever's operating your your cloud services, to the actual team that you own and you you control in house as such? So in this so, case, obviously, so... it's IBM. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to kind of dive in on this just uh, a, a little bit here. This, this, this trust model. It, it, it's people um, for for the long time we've been kind of hardening, and I say we as just people in the IT field. We've been we've been looking to harden, uh, you know, password requirements and kind of heighten the walls of of, of security around access. And it seems like what th- what this is really aiming to do is to take away doors so that there are fewer access points in. Uh, overall, it, it's it's fundamentally different from just like let's harden up security. It's 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 like a reinvention. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, the the thing you have to do is is to analyze the um, the attack surface that you present to the world, and mm-hmm. ultimately, what you're trying to do is minimize that surface area and look at the different attack vectors and try and just close off those vectors one by one. I, I think ultimately, it's the only thing you can do from a, a security standpoint. I was I was uh, looking around last night. I actually saw there's a Forbes article about how, like right now in the middle of 2020, um, pretty much every data center is a, is a lights out data center. Obviously, there's you know there's there's government and very secure data centers that are probably still have people coming in and out of them with like retinal scanners and stuff like that. Um, but with with data centers becoming increasingly lights out, especially right now, there's increasingly less that differentiates me, a person who is supposed to have access sitting in their basement, accessing it from odd hours of the day, from anybody else impersonating me, uh, trying to get in from their basement at, at kind of, you know, any hours of the day. Um, and I think that's really where like the traditional, I have a user ID and password, and I know something to get me in kind of falls down. And is, is this something that, you know, the HyperProtect can can kind of address? Somewhat, yeah. So what it's really trying to do is, um, as you hear me, you know, knocking my fort down. Um, <laughs> so so what fort it's trying pool. to do, really, well, <laughs> perhaps they, they should rename something to that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, so, what so what it's really trying to do is to say, okay, let's... Um, Let's provide some isolation. So with with most other things, especially if you look across other clouds and things, you can you can say um, as the company that you're you're going to deploy some of your workload into the public cloud, and it's all a very nice abstraction, and that's ultimately why you're using a public cloud, so you don't have to own that machinery, right? But it's still mm-hmm. someone's machinery. Someone has that. It actually lives somewhere. There's no there's there's no magic here, um, and it means traditionally anyway that a cloud operations team has got access into that machinery and they they need that to be able to SS, to to SSH in or do whatever else they need to do, right? And what we're trying to do here is say, well, number one, you don't need to do that necessarily. 
Um, we can provide other access points that are more secure than giving you a shell into the entire system. And then number two, we'd like to be able to have this isolation between what the customer can see and control and own and what the, the IBM team effectively under kind of underneath that stack can see and control and own. And I think what's cool from a mainframe point of view anyway is that this is the first time that we've taken mainframe hardware and deployed it into the IBM cloud, into the public cloud, right? which I think in itself is a pretty huge direction that we're going in. Yeah, they always said that couldn't be done for, for various reasons. Um, so other than because you know, the first thing you think of when you put mainframe in, in cloud is someone says, oh, great, I can get rid of my mainframe. But it really goes a lot further than that in that now you can leverage a lot of those, you know, security and, and, and best hardware capabilities of Z while it's up there. So what how, how does the mainframe lend itself to this type of new security model that we were just talking about? Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the, the weird diversion that I was talking about earlier with LNK and stuff, right? That mm. The way I'm, I'm perceiving the industry going anyway from a personal standpoint is I'm seeing it going more towards looking at use cases and then engineering solutions for those particular use cases and less of a generic computing platform. Mm. And the, the example I was actually, I used on a presentation yesterday was around what Apple is doing with um, some of the chips and things in the latest iPhones, right? It's, it's not just having a CPU inside there. It's saying, well, this iPhone is a phone, but it's actually being used a lot as a camera. Um, and those cameras are going to be taking large images and potentially 4K video and things like that. So we'd like some hardware that can optimize that processing, right? And it includes things like machine learning optimization, because that's the kind of thing that people are starting to do now. And I, I think you can apply the same kind of thinking towards what we're doing here, right? It's it's not just about general purpose computing anymore. It's about saying, um, I've got this particular workload. It's heavy IO. Um, it needs high levels of, of security, those kind of things. And then you, you look and see what's the best at doing that. And you come up with the answer that it is the mainframe, right? For the first couple of years, at least, the idea of public cloud was there's a service out there that I can like, um, you know, give it some data and only give me back some other sort of data, which quickly pivoted to, well, I want to keep my data out there. And I, I think if people, if, if maybe cloud computing had a different name, if instead of cloud computing, we called it like large warehouse complex on the side of the highway computing, people might start to get the idea that there's actual hardware behind here it's still computers. We've just moved it somewhere else. And I, I almost wonder if people would start to take their security uh, a, a little more seriously at that point, if they knew that it it still existed in this physical realm. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's kind of, uh, you know, the way I, I tend to think about um, cloud computing is on two fronts, really, from the business side and from the, the kind of engineer's side. From the mm. business side, you've got CapEx and OpEx and the <laughs> fact that you don't have to own your own hardware. I, I kind of think of it in the same way as, not every company in the world has their own legal teams or their own tax and accounting teams, right? You you kind of, you say, that's not my core competency right now or anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't need to own that myself. I don't need to have it in-house. Now, some people do, and they still have that for good reasons. But if you don't need to have that, you can say, well, I'll just abstract that out to somebody else, and I'll use it as a service, which is ultimately what the cloud is going to give you. Um, and the way I, I at least perceive cloud computing 
is that if they were all on this this journey from an engineering point of view of ultimately I want to be able to get to the point where I can have an application on my laptop and then just through some incantation say now make this run and serve traffic right I don't want to care about anything else that's ultimately where we want to get to yeah um, and you can kind of see I mean going back to your original comment about IKS the Kubernetes service um, I think that's like one of these things that we're on that path towards right it it makes it easier to be able to deploy applications into the public cloud, into the private cloud, wherever you, you happen, to, happen to be running IKS or any kind of Kubernetes install. So let's get back to this IKS thing because we haven't even um, talked about what it stands for. Although I can go up with a couple pretty good ones. So how, how does IKS <laughs> fit into what's, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this on Slack afterwards, but how does IKS fit into um, this, this evolving model? You know, I guess, you know, first of all, I'm quite sad that it's not IKF as the, you know, IBM Kubernetes facility. That seems I know, more appropriate, I know. you know. Who they, was sleeping they, on they that? They missed a trick. Exactly, <laughs> right. Um, but the, the, so the idea is um, you've, got your, you've got your application on your local machine, let's say, and you want to be able to deploy that. And in this DevOps kind of, kind of world of, you know, you, you as the developer in this picture you, you then chuck it over the fence at the operations team who actually owns production or testing or whatever staging um, mm. and they take that and they try and run that and they come back to you and say hey this doesn't work and you you look at it and you say oh you you know you're using library you know 1.1.0 and i'm using 1.2.1 you know and there's, there's some breaking <laughs> changes and it gets complicated and there's lots, lots of back and forth and all that so these are the kind of problems that i think we were trying to solve with container technology, right? That mm-hmm. that if you have these issues, you can now use containers, in this case, using Docker containers. And through this technology, you can describe a, a container image that's com- the complete stack of your application. So from this operating system, you're going to do these things, you're going to add this thing, you're going to do that, you're going to add this library, install this runtime, and here's my application at the top of this stack. And that's going to be your image. And now that you've got that image, it can run anywhere that image can run. So you can confirm that it runs locally on your laptop, and then you can push that into a, a container registry somewhere like, like Docker Hub, um, and you, you can then pull that down and deploy it into any public cloud instance, including parts of the IBM cloud. Um, but it kind of, that, that works really well. Yeah. But then you start thinking about, well, what about production? You know, what? What happens if this container that I'm running and is used to serve workload isn't there anymore? What if there's um, you know some 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 kind of breaking change or something? You need to be able to watch it and redeploy it. And this is where container orchestration has come in, of which Kubernetes has become you know vastly the the um, the industry standard here, really, and it's it's the one that IBM's been 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 backing as well, including. Red Hat, OpenShift, and everything else—it's all based on Kubernetes. It, um, it, is, it is it strictly for an availability type of thing, or as I'm orchestrating something, can I say that this always needs like four database instances and then this many, you know, Apache instances? Yeah, so it it does all of that and and more really. Um, it can do auto scaling, it can do you know general resilience checks. Fundamentally, what you do is. It's it's a declarative system. So you say, here's how I want the picture of the world to look like. I want to have two application servers over here with a load balancer that can talk to either of, of them. I want to have a database over here that's going to be my persistent storage. I want to have some other thing over there, something over here. 
um, and I want to spread this across two or three different machines or different LPARs. Mm. What Kubernetes will do is then take that as an instruction and say, okay, I'll make it so, like in the Jean-Luc Picard kind of kind of way, right? Um, <laughs> with the accent too. Um, yes. And that's all it does, right? That's it's literally all Kubernetes does. And it's got a heartbeat and every heartbeat interval, it's going to look at the world and say, has anything changed? And if it sees that this application server over here died for some reason, it's going to say, well, I need to spin up a new one because I've been told to have two on this machine at all times. And it'll do that for you. And then through through the things like label selectors and things like that, you can then say, well, I want these application servers to be on this machine, this particular one. And I want this one to be on this particular data center and this one over here. And this forms your entire cluster, basically. So when you're writing an application, your next great application, you're not saying this is going to be a Kubernetes application. You're, you're building a thing that works in your own environment, and then you're just package, packaging it up in like a Kubernetes box. That's the idea, yeah. So you, you package it up as a Docker container or a set of, of containers, and then you prescribe how you want this deployment to to happen within your, your environment, whatever clusters that you're you're going to own or particular worker nodes within that cluster. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the interesting thing that you I think you saw on my Twitter was was around some integration that we've done between HyperProtect and, and IKS, right? Just yes. going way back on this stack. Um, <laughs> yeah. One cool thing that Kubernetes has got is it's got this concept of secrets. And the secrets. idea is that, I know, secrets, it's all, you know, top secret with a squirrel with a mask on and whatever else, I don't know. Um, is that the official logo? <laughs> I, I don't know if it is, but I think it should be. It if feels it's like not, it would I'm going like to copyright a, a, it. It feels like it would be at a share conference from 1983 or something. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> with like a mole on, on the side. Is that, is that the cartoon? Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> I'm now Make aging the shirts, myself, guys. Make yeah. the shirts. We'll see you in Anaheim. <laughs> <laughs> Anaheim. That would be amazing. Isn't that the next one? Is it? I didn't know. Yeah. Okay, it could be. Obviously, it was meant to be Boston in, in August, but sadly, that's not a thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. But Boston's that's really hot times. right now anyway, so that's that's, that's true. Yeah. Um so where was that? Anyway, so we were talking about squirrels. Secrets. Right, exactly. Yeah. Squirrel. Um <laughs> so the the whole concept with secrets is hey, I've got this application, um, I'm gonna deploy it into what Kubernetes calls a, a pod, right? You that's the like lowest level of thing that you orchestrate within Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. And you're probably going to want to have some kind of API keys or tokens or maybe passwords as part of that application so that it can presumably do something and talk to other things. But you don't want those to be in the GitHub repo, you know, way over on the left-hand side of this kind of pipeline picture that we're building up here, because you don't want to have those things described where other people are going to have access to them. Yeah. So what you can do with Kubernetes is you can put those things inside this location that they call secrets. Uh, I think it's part of the ETCD distributed key value store that they use um, or alongside that anyway. Okay. Um, and then when that pod gets deployed, you say, oh, by the way, when you deploy that pod with this application inside it, use the secrets over here. And it will then go and authenticate and pull down those secrets for you as part of the deployment process. So what we've done is we've we've added some integration to it with HyperProtect. So we've got this particular thing called HyperProtect crypto services and the the idea is that we're able to make use of this hsm this hardware security module and it runs on a mainframe highly tamper uh, highly tamper resistant if i can speak (laughs) um 
And using that, basically, it does all the key exchange and everything transparently under the covers. So you can have your secrets encrypted using a key that's stored inside this tamper-resistant HSM. And when it needs to call out to say, I want to get those secrets, it can then do the key exchange. It can decrypt the secrets and it can put those decrypted secrets into the pod as part of this deployment so you can actually run your application. So now they're not just sitting out in an Etsy file system somewhere. They're protected by an HSM. Exactly, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was just going to say, which which then comes back to our original point of we've got some clients that are really interested in the public cloud, but then they're concerned around perceived lack of security. And again, what can we do to try and improve this kind of picture? What particular problems can we identify and what problems can we solve? And this is one of those things. Is this is this kind of what enterprise key management looks like? Is this what is enterprise this key management looks like? I think it's a part of it. Yeah, we're, we're straying into the bounds of things that I know nothing about, which is easy <laughs> to do, but here we are. Um, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's, there's all kinds of EKMF products and different areas within the mainframe as well, right? And I think we, we play in that kind of picture. I mean, I guess um, what I'm getting at is it, it, we don't want to replace... Um, I'm the person with the password with I'm the person with the key and think that that solves a, a fundamental underlying problem. Yeah, exactly. Right. And this is, this is the whole crux of, of encryption. Anyway, encryption is a wonderful thing. Um, but once you've encrypted something, you've encrypted it with a key. So you've just transformed your problem into a key management problem. Where are you going <laughs> to store those, those keys, you know, and who's got access to wherever you're storing those keys? Right. So, so help help me uh, imagine this. Like, I, I, let's let's pretend I, I have a uh, somewhat successful social media platform. It it you know it does a thing or whatever has has a lot of people. It, it we don't keep like medical information or anything like you know super scary or anything like that. But enough that people are tr- constantly trying to get to our data. Um, what does a solution like this let me do that might let me like sleep better at night? Right. So you can take your applications and, I mean, you can also make use of the other HyperProtect offerings, right? This, this isn't going to be a HyperProtect spiel or wasn't intended to be. Um, but hey, if, there's, if, there's the, a load uh, of... if the solution fits. <laughs> exactly. Um, right. There's, there's a number of different things there. So there's like, so I could talk about HyperProtect virtual servers in, in this case. And the, the idea is, again, like taking these problems, taking this shared technology stack, actually, where we can have these uh, secure enclaves and you can deploy things into them, including your applications, including the runtimes that are going to be serving this traffic. Um, and by being in these enclaves, it means that there's no IBM that's got access to that data. It means that essentially it's on you as the client. You now have that full control and ability to to limit that control as you want it to be. You don't have to have an implicit trust in in other people, which is a pretty powerful concept, I think. Obviously, we don't want to say that like this will solve problems or would have solved problems. But, you know, um, this time last week, um, a certain social media um, tweeting platform <laughs> had a had a little bit of a problem. And from from what I've seen, it, it, it looks like the, the the source of the problem came from um, socially engineered people with large amounts of access using a tool that they might not have been supposed to have access to. Um and and so the you know the obviously the accounts that got hacked were not um hacked one at a time it was obviously like an insider type of thing i'm i'm wondering if if this is something that might have helped out in that type of situation could hyperprotect have helped Oof. um 
I, th- I think the answer is maybe, and the answer is really I don't know because I don't I don't know the details of how the the attack happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a maybe, but it's also um, I'm very conscious not to try and sell snake oil here, right? Which right. which is incredibly easy to do in the security space. <laughs> you know, you you have your single thing, and it solves all the world's problems, and that's it. It it really depends, and it it's based on what the it kind of depends on what the actual attack was. So we're we're giving the client the ability to control their application. And if they want to have their application being completely insecure and do terrible things, we we wouldn't recommend that. But it's a possibility. Um, but if they've got a secure application and they're dependent on their cloud operator to run a secure shop at the same time, but without them knowing it, there's actually shell access into the under, underlying hypervisor layers of this entire stack, right? It means yeah. that you could compromise, in theory, some some people who have got access to this. And it's all about social engineering. It always is. It's always the people um, <laughs> that are the, you know, the weak points, ultimately. Um, and through that access, you'd be able to get into the underlying file system. And this, this kind of relates to why we're, 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 um, we're, we're trying to... Um, what am I trying to say here? <laughs> this kind of relates to some of the interest we've got from some companies that are in the digital asset space as well, right? So this is something that Rebecca was talking about. Um, if it was on the last episode of this podcast or the one prior, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but the, the point here is, is that if you've got some assets, um, and these are ultimately going to be things inside a crypto wallet, whatever that happens to be, and ultimately these things are like a SHA-512 hash or something equivalent to that, right? You now have to protect that because if you lose that, and there's been a lot of cases where these things have mysteriously vanished, right? Or, you know, uh-huh. um, I can uh, see your finger quotes all the way from the other side. Of the <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Um, in those cases, you've got to be really careful of how you lock that thing down, and you you really need to be careful as to who you give access to. So by by being able to limit those things in a very controlled way is, I think, huge, because if you can SSH into a box like this, ultimately those things are just being stored somewhere on the file system. And mm-hmm. if you can get access to that file system, you can read that data, you, you can read it straight off. Um, the same with the ability to be able to get the in-contents memory of whatever processes are running on that machine. Because with these things, you don't have any shell access into the hypervisor layer, you can't get access at the memory of the processes that are running there. So you just can't do that. It just literally closes off all kinds of attack vectors. It it is interesting. I mean, I uh, a lot of us grew up watching the movie War Games, and then maybe so we did. graduated to uh, to hackers. Um, my personal favorite is the movie Sneakers. Uh, oh yeah, I love Sneakers. Awesome. Fant- fantastic film. And great cast what, as well, actually. Oh, it's it's insane. The the great cast: Sidney Poitier, uh, who's it? Uh, River Phoenix. I think that was his last film. I think uh, so. Robert Redford. Um, yeah. Dan English Aykroyd. guy, I can't think of the name of. Yeah, uh, who's the main guy? Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley, that, that, that's it. Yeah, yeah Rob, Robert Kingsley. Redford. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Uh, James Earl James Earl Jones. Yeah, it's insane. That guy insane from Lois and Clark, Superman. <laughs> <laughs> the dad from Lois and Clark. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, great, great, fantastic movie. Um, in every single hacker movie, the hacking, the actual like sitting at a computer hacking thing is just like an excuse to like show a montage and, and advance time. The social engineering aspects are, are like, that's the key of any, um, 
and any good hacking movie and and that other robert redford movie what's that the old one that, that has like the uh it's like the con man movie that's almost a the con man movie yeah uh, what about man. about watergate all the president's men no no um robert redford oh uh the one where he's in new york he's like a cia spy or something no 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 the sting the sting you know what? I've never seen The Sting. It came out. I in need 70- to go and see The Sting. It's a it's a pretty good movie. It came out in seventy three. It's supposed to. It's made to look like it came out in like the thirties or forties, something like that. But it's basically a hacking film because it's all about social engineering and pulling con, you know, confidence man. You know, uh, right? That sounds really good. Like I'll have to check it, it out. It's, it's pretty good. It it gets weird in some places. Anyway, um, <laughs> as films it, did in the day. As they did, uh, there, there's a part where he's trying to get into a building and to, to get on into a, a server. Actually, I think it's a it's a cray something or other. Uh, Super anyway. cray. Yeah, something. and has yeah. The, has the bubbles on it and everything. Um, right. Instead of like landing a helicopter on the roof or like tunneling through like from the bottom or something like that, um, he just carries in a box uh, with a cake and some flowers. And goes up to the security guard and like yells at him like, hey, just buzz me in, buddy. I'm already late for this party. And he acts like a person you just don't want to talk to. And because the security guard probably gets paid, you know, $10 an hour, they're not going to, you know, fight with this guy. They just, they just buzz him in because obviously he's, he's wearing a suit and he has a party to go to and he's angry. And the social engineering aspect right there is just like why go through the toughest thing in the world, you know, a steel wall or, you know, something like that. You can just go through a person and it sounds like a lot of this is trying to bypass um, or eliminate the possibility of like that one person you can get through. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that, that reminds me of, I think it was a DEF CON talk from years ago where the guy was saying how he, um, I think it was an AT&T building or something like that in Manhattan. And it was maybe soon after or six, 12 months after 9-11, I think. Mm-hmm. And so they, they still had armed guards outside, you know, it was, it was a heavily guarded place. It was their, I guess, one of their data centers in downtown Manhattan. Um, and they, so, so what he, he did with this particular attack is he just turned up with a high vis jacket basically, and basically just walked in and he managed to get through to the, the actual machines themselves that were, they were all caged, but the cage was so close to the machines that he could just about reach and get a, usb stick or something into some particular usb um slot in into one of the servers um yeah and actually you know you talked about about uh so you talked about hackers before right and i'll tell you i can i've never been so disappointed in my life when obviously i i need the you know the mainframe is the gibson mm-hmm. um and it's got the 3d interface and you fly through navigating the file system and data sets like, and then like I actually join I, IBM Z, right? And I get introduced to ISPF. And I want to know where my <laughs> 3D interface is, please. <laughs> Somebody at some point must have made uh, something to... I know they did. So actually, I did, I did look that up. Actually, that is a real thing, isn't it? That they actually used for Linux. And it's actually a thing that you can download. And I think, it, I mean, at some point, it did still compile. And you could get it to work to, to be able to navigate the file system. You need to put the garbage to... file in the right place, though. Yeah, exactly right. And then spend five minutes trying to copy it to a floppy disk. That how perfect was Pendulette in that role, though? Yeah, exactly right. He's he's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the th- things that didn't catch on that I thought really would um, carrying laptops around uh, with guitar straps. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Also, skateboarding. <laughs> I guess it's making a comeback now, but I thought we'd see a lot more skateboarding skateboarding and i guess 
tips of your 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 hair dyed or whatever it was to head there. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's, there's a lot of things there that need not to be repeated, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it was a simpler time. So so what do I need to do? What are the next steps for for IKS? Is there gonna be like a Z trial that I can try out, or is it gonna be a, a demo, something I can I can you know try out on IBM Public Cloud? Next steps, call to action. Uh so with IKS, <laughs> it's um <laughs> you can um so you can try that for free entirely, right? You you just go to IBM Cloud. And if you go to cloud.ibm.com, you, you can sign up for free. And among the different free things that you can try, it includes IKS, the IBM Kubernetes service. And you can spin something up and give that a whirl. Um, and that includes some of the HyperProtect offerings as, as well, right? So you, you can spin up a HyperProtect virtual server. At the end of the day, to you, it's just a Ubuntu virtual machine. Um, mm. you, you put in your SSH public key. And what we do when we deploy that and stand it up for you is we just push that key into the actual Ubuntu virtual server. Um, there's, there's, there's no other passwords or any other key on that virtual server. So you're going to be the only one with access to that. And you're obviously going to have the private counterpart to that public key. So you can get in and it's just an Ubuntu virtual server. right? You, you don't really need to know at that point that it happens to be running on a Linux one machine or anything else. So if I if I is because it's all containers the whole way down, I just need to make something that runs and I can just shove it out there. Yeah, exactly. So for the IKS stuff, you can have have your own container. You can deploy that into IKS, um, and then if if you want to use the crypto service, you can you can try that. I I don't think we have a free offering for that one, so that's a that's a charge for thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can then add that, and then once you've got those two different things in your account, you can easily kind of join them up in in the interface and through the command line and away you go well i know what i'll be doing this weekend <laughs> and i guess or something else oh i was thinking <laughs> something else but i mean okay. somebody could probably play around with that if they really wanted to yeah instead <laughs> model trains <laughs> <laughs> and slot cars yeah absolutely which yeah so i i saw that the other day because i was talking to somebody way back about an idea for a demo with scale extra um yeah which is a thing in the UK. And I mentioned it to them and they were like, what? Uh, and they, yeah. they had no idea what I was talking about. And I, I didn't realize that I should talk about slot cars or whatever it is I, I need to talk about. It's yeah. It's one of those things that grew up. It, it came up completely differently in the UK and the U S Skelectrics. It, like you say that everyone knows exactly like, like Hornsby models or Hornby models. Like we don't have those here. <laughs> Is it the same gauge? Is it still, was it H, it's H0? Or whatever light, it is? They run on the same tracks, but they have slightly different like proportions with the trains anyway. The okay. slot cars, so, you guys go like 132nd scale, we're like 187th scale. So it's like Imperial and metric or something? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> let's not start that discussion. <laughs> no, let's not. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a fun hobby. But, but, hey, what, what, what was your... Wait, why were you talking about slot cars? I'm sorry, Skeletrics. Skeletrics, yeah. I think, why, why was I talking about that? Um, I had this really loose idea that it'd be really cool to do a demo to show off HyperProtect, mm-hmm. where I could have two cars and I could hook them up somehow. I haven't worked this out yet, but uh-huh. use a Raspberry Pi or something, right, to, to be able to control them from the internet. How cool yeah. is that? And then have one where the control thing the, the control application is on the internet on some insecure server maybe on a you know different <laughs> cloud or something and the other one's on a hyperprotect virtual server and i could do this live in, in front of some kind of audience and i could challenge them 
I could give them the IP addresses for each different machine and say, try and go and hack these two things, right? See if you can get into them. I can even give them the password or something, right? And just assume that the, the HyperProtect virtual server, by not having any kind of shell access, is going to make that pretty hard. And the other server, presumably, is, is going to be that much easier. And then the one card so, just flies off the track. Yeah, flies off the track, or I was thinking stop, but you know maybe fly off the track is more spectacular. This is why you need you know? me. This is why you need to run your demo ideas through me. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually looking at an Arduino and a, a, or a, a relay array right now. Um, although I would probably use a stepper motor to control a uh, variable resistor. So let, let's let's talk about this. I think we can make it happen. Yeah, exactly. I think it'd be really cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, and and any way that lets me write off my slot cars as a business expense, I'm absolutely <laughs> all for. Tax deductible, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, this has been a whole lot of fun. Um, anything, uh, anything in closing that we forgot to touch upon? Uh, like, comment, subscribe. Is that is that what you say at the end of these things, or is that something else? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't been asking for subscribers, but people keep subscribing. <laughs> it seems to work out all right. Please add a comment onto iTunes. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I guess do that. I mean, if, if you're, if you're bored and looking for something to do, please comment on, on the podcast. So people know that it's like a common or a current, a current thing and that it's actually good and not just like, you know, ads or something like that. So yeah, yeah exactly. like yeah. comment and subscribe if, if you're not already. And if you're listening, like listen through like iTunes or Spotify or something like that. There's a lot of people listening through the web interface and that doesn't help our numbers one bit. Oh no! So I use Overcast. I I, I quite like a lot of podcasts, and I, I listen to loads of them. Overcast yeah. is, is my go-to client. Overcast works. Well, it does now. It didn't for a while until I fixed something, but now it does. Yeah, I mean, it. I guess it worked fine. It just was doing some weird things with the images for each of the episodes, but yeah, it's all there, it's, it's weird. The whole uh, podcast ecosystem landscape thing. It it there's there's no like uh, I um document that says like this is what a podcast should look like it's kind of like this is what works in most places i guess so do this and then of course every once in a while apple's like hey we're just we think podcast should be like this now and everyone kind of shrugs in that direction so it's it's an interesting place to play in yeah absolutely yeah okay i'm gonna work out if if my thought is um text deductible hey, or not hey do me a favor take a because uh you know i like to tweet these things with a picture i want a picture of chris pool in, uh, <laughs> in his blanket fort for the for the episode i may or may not do that yeah i'll see okay well you'll see when this i'll definitely take the picture i'll see if i'm gonna share it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well chris it's been a whole lot of fun and uh it's it's probably well it's not late in the day for you but you're looking to get out of here probably so i will let you go thank you so much this has been a fun conversation it's been cool, thank you. Thanks, All right, stay well. Old Man Charlie, run it out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.